So good to see you here this morning. Thank the Lord for a wonderful Sunday school class this morning. Clarissa taught on the leaven, the leaven of false doctrine, the leaven of sin, and how a little leaven can leaven the whole lump. And we're, we're to be bold and we're to be watchmen, amen, to watch out for that. I want you, if you would, to open with your, in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 and just hold it for just a moment, if you would. Appreciate Reynolds, Sharon, and Chris leading the worship this past Wednesday. Uh, wonderful service, and I thank God for uh, them allowing the Lord to use them in that way. We, we started last week talking about the fact that the Lord has redeemed us, and he's redeemed us unto himself. I'm going to quote this scripture again from 1 Peter chapter 3. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And the whole plan of redemption, the whole purpose of needing a Savior, and the whole purpose of being washed in the blood of Christ and forgiven of our sins, there's a purpose behind it all in God's mind, in his estimation, and that is to bring us to God. Everything is about bringing us to the Lord because he loves us. He wants us to be reconciled, and we are reconciled by faith through the blood of Jesus Christ. And all believers have a calling to be with the Lord. It's not just a calling that when I die, I'm going to heaven. There's a calling in this life to be with the Lord in communion with the Lord. Jesus said, I'm the, good, I'm the vine, you are the branch, right? And we're to abide in Christ in his words to dwell in us richly. Apart from him, we can do nothing. He says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. It is about communion with the Lord. It is about a relationship. It is about fellowship with God. All through this life, we've been given the comfort of the Holy Ghost, so we're not left on our own. It's not like Christ is just up there at the right hand of the Father. He is, but it's not as though he's there and we're here and there's no connection. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. We've been given the Spirit of Christ, the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. And then in the end, when we go to heaven, we're going to be with the Lord forever and ever. Amen? Be with the Lord forever and ever. And so there's a call of God. There's a call of God upon every believer to be holy, to be with him. If we're going to be with God and God is holy, then there has to be a work of holiness in our life. Now, we are set in a right standing before the Lord. I say this all the time. This will be in our study and foundations when we study that. There is a righteousness that is very real, that is imputed to us as it was to Abraham, as it is to all believers by faith. When we believe the gospel, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He imputes or imparts to us on his own, because of our trust in him, the righteousness which comes by faith. Righteous, the righteousness of Christ is ours. We're robed in the righteousness of Christ. That is like our legal standing. If this was a, uh, the bar of a, of a judge, and he was sitting here with his gavel, and we come in guilty, but we come to the Lord to be pardoned. And when we're through and we've trusted in Christ and washed in his blood, he slams the gavel down and says, innocent. And says just. And you say, well, wait a minute. I've done so many horrible things in my life. Even two seconds before I walked in here, he says, I declare you as being just. So that, that, that never leaves. That never goes away from a believer. We are justified freely by his grace, the Bible says. Amen. He is just in Romans 3 and the justifier of them or him who believes in Jesus Christ. But then there's the living it out day by day. 
then there, there's a practical holiness. There's a holiness or a sanctification where the Lord has taken us from that moment where he has pardoned us and saved us and sent his spirit to live inside of us. He takes us from that moment and he begins to work in our lives to make us more like Jesus Christ in practice, in behavior, in reality, inwardly in my heart, in my affections, in my thoughts, and what I like and what I don't like. God begins to work in that. And he can work as fast as we'll let him work. But that is a very real calling. It is an upward calling. and It says in Philippians, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus that Paul spoke about. Years after he was saved, he said, this is the one thing I pursue after is the Lord. I want to forget the things that are behind. I want to reach forth for the prize that's set before, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It is high in the sense that it's holy. It's unattainable, but yet it's attainable. It's unattainable on our own, but it's attainable through Christ in us. We can do all things. Amen? And so it's a very real call to be holy. The call, God has reconciled us to himself. And if he's reconciled us to himself and he is holy, there has to be a work of sanctification or holiness in our lives so that we can commune with the Lord. If I'm saved, but this week I just said I'm checking out and I want to live in sin for a while, I'm not saying that we're not saved. I don't think we just lose our salvation overnight. But I can promise you there's no communion or fellowship with the Lord in that. That's just rebellion. He's, he's there. He hasn't left, but I've departed and gone out on my own. And the Lord is calling us back. The call is to be with him, and he's holy. Holiness, don't let it scare you to death. Don't let holiness just be, there's a thousand do's and a thousand don'ts, and that's it. Holiness is Christ-likeness. It is a separation unto God from the world and from our self-life and everything unto the Lord, and God is able to do it. God is able to do it. I want you to read in Galatians 5, verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other. And you, so you cannot do the things that you would. This is a very important scripture in what we're talking about in our pursuit of holiness, pursuit of the Lord. When we commence and we intend and say, okay, I'm saved now, and I read in the Bible that I'm to be holy, and I'm going to set out in the Lord to be holy, you know what we're going to find very quickly? We're going to find that we have an opposition. We have an enemy. We have an adversary. And certainly we have Satan. Satan is the adversary that walks around to and fro through the earth as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But Satan appeals, for the most part, to our flesh. Our flesh is not on our side. When we're born again, we're saved now, and I want to live holy, and I want to get up and come to Sunday school, but I'm tired. My flesh just wants to stay in bed and get an extra hour, right? That, that flesh is not going to want to cooperate. It's not going to want to cooperate. And so it's not, it's, it says right here in Galatians 5, 17, the flesh lusts against the spirit of the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to another. They're, there's no mixture. There's no mingling. They're contrary. There's no, uh, there's no common ground between the two. I think this is where a lot of times we were misguided in Christianity. We, we think that the Lord just kind of wants to blend in Christianity to our lives and blend it all in and, and make it flow smoothly downstream. 
Just bring Christ into work, bring Christ into in the situation, into lives, and the kids' schooling, and everything, and the finances, and job, and just don't make too many waves. Just have him tag along with me and make the road smooth. That's not the case. We have a call of God upon our lives to live for God and to be holy. And we're going to find very quickly as I set out and say, okay, in Christ, my standing is holy, but there's a high call of God in Christ Jesus upon my life. First Thessalonians 4 says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. He's speaking to believers. They're already sanctified in their standing, but they need to be sanctified in their tongues, their mouth, their speech, their behavior, what they set their eyes upon. We all do. Okay, we all do. And so as soon as we commence to say, okay, Lord, help me to live that way, and we step out and we begin, the Bible says to pray without ceasing, and I'm going to try to pray without ceasing. We're going to find our flesh is contrary to that. You know what happens when you want to go to pray early in the morning? You fall asleep. You're going to find you, you get extra sleepy. You're going to get distracted in your mind by a million thoughts. Instead of thinking about the Lord and praying, we're distracted about the events of the day or yesterday or what we have coming up this week. And so our flesh is contrary. But even though it's contrary, we have the victory in Christ. We have more than enough strength and ability by the Lord and by his spirit. But it's important that we understand they are contrary. There's not a, a meeting between the flesh and the spirit. You know, when we see two parties, like, I can remember, I don't even know how many years ago, there was, early in the 70s, there was a peace treaty uh, between Anwar Sadat of Egypt and I think it was uh, Menachem Begin of Israel. And it shows them, it made Time Magazine, it was the, it was the big news, and it, it, well, I guess it was a huge news. Egypt and Israel, this Muslim nation, and they're shaking hands, these two presidents, and signing some kind of peace accord. They're trying to make peace. Guess what? There's not really peace. It was, it was a formality. It was a form only. There's not genuine peace. And the, there's no peace between your flesh and the Holy Ghost in you, the Spirit of Christ. And when we try to make peace between the two, let me find a happy ground. I mean, I'm saved, and I'm glad I'm saved, and I'm glad my sins are forgiven, and I'm glad when I die I'm going to heaven. I love all that, but I love my life, too, the way it was before, or at least parts of it, and I want to keep those things in it. And you try to find middle ground for those two to meet, you're wasting your time. That is not biblical. It is not possible. That are contrary the one to the other. The flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit with a capital S, the Holy Ghost in you, against the flesh, and the two are contrary one to the other. There's not a peace treaty. They're contrary. And the sooner I think we learn that and understand that and move on and say, oh, what, what do I do then? Then we're on the right track, okay? We're on the right track. The Lord did not come to make your flesh behave itself a little better. He didn't come to tame your flesh. He came that that flesh would be crucified and that Christ would live in us fully and wholly and completely. It's not a peace treaty. It's not a common ground. The flesh is not rehabilitated. I preached in prisons all my life, and some of you have as well. And, you know, there's a whole goal. There's two different thoughts. Are they there for, to be punished or are they there to be rehabilitated or both? Maybe there's some truth in both, but there's no rehabilitation of the flesh. 
It's not going to be rehabilitated. It's not going to be taught to behave itself. Christ has to reign and rule in the flesh. And when I say the flesh, that's when I'm talking about the flesh is the carnal nature, the nature of Adam, the carnal sinful nature of Adam. Every man has a decision to please. After we're saved, the born again has this decision. Am I going to please God or am I going to please the flesh? I'm going to live for God or am I going to live in the flesh? I'm going to walk in the spirit or am I going to walk after the flesh? A believer can walk in the spirit and a believer can choose at some point to walk in the flesh. But you can't do both at the same time. And if I'm choosing the flesh for the next five minutes because it's something I want to watch on TV or a conversation I want to have that's ungodly and I choose that, in that moment I'm not walking in the spirit. There's not a communion with Christ in that moment. And there's a deceitfulness of sin. And I think it's okay. And I end up building upon that. And I find myself, prayerfully, I'll wake up at some point, way out in left field, and say, how did I get so far from the Lord? Well, you, you walked in the flesh instead of the Spirit, and you didn't have to. Little choices we make all day long. And so there, the Bible says that speaks of an old man and a new man, right? In the, in the New Testament, all through, the old man and the new man. The old man is that speaks of, in, in every person, every person that's saved, we have the old man, I do, you do if you're saved, and we have the new man. If you're lost, you just have not given your life to Christ, you just have the old man at this time. But that old man, it would be carnal, it would be of the nature of Adam, and in Adam all have sinned, and in Adam all die, it says in Romans. And that is still present in me as a believer. But as a believer, I also have the new man. And the new man, the Bible says, is in Christ Jesus created in true holiness. So both of those are present. And that old man has been there a lot, for most of us probably, that old man's been there a lot longer and had time to get developed and strong. Think about it that way. The old nature you get set in your ways. Even as a Christian, you love Jesus. You can get set in your ways that are fleshly and carnal and not of God. There's a strong presence of the old man because that old man, it's like an old growth forest. You know, we talk about old growth forest. It's not just the pine trees. The old growth forest is the big oak trees and the redwoods and the things that take a long time to grow. And their wood's more valuable and so forth. They, they've been there a long time. Sometimes that, that old man has had a lot of time to grow and build up and kind of get its roots in. Then we give our life to Christ and we're saved and we have the new man. And the new man is, is not, there's no conjunction between the two. The new man through and through is Christ. The old man is that old nature and they're contrary one to another. Okay? The Bible says as newborn babes in 1 Peter 2, desire ye the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That's that new man. That, what does that say? Desire means to crave like a baby's craving a bottle. I say it all the time. You, you, everybody's got oh, so many have children or have had children or been around children. When a baby is a baby and a baby is ready to eat, it's not going to ask politely. If it's gone too long without eating or been neglected for a little while, they're going to be craving that body. Their body needs it. It's not just, I'm a little hungry, I want some potato chips and salsa. They're starving. They, they, their body is craving it at that moment, okay? And it's, that's the word, as newborn babes crave the milk of the word. Why? That you may grow thereby. What is that? That's that new man. That new man is to grow. And, and uh, that old man is not going to go down without a fight. 
Now, I'll say praise God at the beginning of this. I want to remind you, we have the Lord in us. Our sufficiency is of God. The Lord works mightily in us, and the mighty work of God is much greater and more than sufficient enough to overcome the flesh. Okay? We have the victory, but we have to walk it out. And that old man is not going to go down. It's unspiritual, fleshly, carnal. It's not going to give up easily. When you give your life to Christ... There are these two that are contrary. The flesh is contrary to the spirit and the spirit to the flesh. They're contrary the one to another. Amen. And so the new man in you is Christ in me, in you. And that, that is to grow. That is, the Lord is to grow. Again, we'll talk about this in our Foundations Sunday School series when we start it. But that new man is destined to grow, predestined by the Lord to grow, more than enough to grow. There's, there's a good example I heard before that there was this man that had been saved for, hadn't been saved very long, and he listened to his pastor preach, and he went up and talked to him afterwards. And, and the pastor said, uh, the, the man said to his preacher, he says, Pastor, I've got this real struggle going on. It's like I have two dogs inside of me fighting. A white dog, which would be, what's good and holy and of the Lord, and I got this black dog inside of me, which would just be all the sinful things and the fleshly things, and they're both fighting each other inside of me. And the pastor said to him, ask him a question, he says, well, which one wins? And the man said, well, whichever one I feed the most. I know that you've heard something like that, and that might sound oversimplifying it, but at the same time, there's a lot of truth to that. If I'm feeding the flesh, if we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap of the flesh corruption. If we sow to the spirit, we're going to reap of the spirit life everlasting. I have choices to make in this. This is what what I'm preaching to you this morning to myself. I have choices. We're not on a conveyor belt. Uh, You know, sometimes I watch this modern marvels on the Discovery Channel, one of these channels, Science Channel, it shows how they make things like they make a radiator, or they make something, a toothbrush or whatever. Everything pretty much is on a conveyor belt. And in this stage, they stick the bristles in the toothbrush. In this stage, they harden the plastic. It goes through all the, but everything is rolling through thousands per second, it seems like. We're not just on a conveyor belt in our Christianity. We have choices to make. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. That's not just for salvation. That's waking, waking up today, and you, you could choose to come to Sunday school or not. You could choose to come to church. You could choose to be on time. You could choose to lift your hands when we sing or stick them in your pocket. We're not robots. You can choose to open your Bible and read it today, or you can choose not to. You have that choice. Christians have that choice. But if you want to grow in the Lord, if you want to live an overcoming life, if you want to live a life that is an intimate fellowship with the Lord, which is for us, then we have to make the choices to yield and to obey and to submit and to to do what the Lord tells us to in his word. Amen. To trust him, to yield to him, to obey him. The Bible says, we all know this passage, Thou therefore, 2 Timothy 2, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now no man that warreth and wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he might please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. So I have choices to make. I can get all entangled up in the world as a Christian, okay? And if I'm all entangled up in the world, then I'm not going to be a good soldier for the one who's called me to be a soldier. Just not, period. I'm not going to be. 
I'm not going to be a soldier that pleases the Lord because a soldier that's pleasing the Lord is going to be standing at attention to his commanding officer at all times. He does not have an agenda of his own. The soldier is under the authority of the commanding officer, and that, in our case, is Jesus Christ. And so we yield to the Lord. Amen? We yield to the Lord. Our will, and this is what we're going to talk about the rest of today, pretty much, our will can be distracted, for lack of a better word, between the two, the flesh and the spirit. They're both present within the life of the believer. But we can be distracted between the two. Which one am I going to pay attention to? Which one am I going to try to please? Uh, Some of our energy goes to please in the flesh. Some of our finances, our will, our energy, our thought goes to please in the flesh. And some goes to please in the Lord over here. It's dedicated. Some of our, our energy... And thought can be dedicated to feeding the old man. And God wants to bring us out of that. It's an increase, okay? It's an increase of holiness. It's an increase of submission to the Lord. Again, we love the Lord, but we say, I love certain parts of this old life too. And I want to hang on to that. And the hanging on to that is going to keep us from going on. If God puts his finger on if it's blatantly sinful then there's no question about it. We give it over to the Lord. But even things that may not be blatantly sinful, but God is saying, give up that extra sleep and come spend that time with me. Sleep is not sinful, but it's sinful if he tells me to wake up and pray and I keep sleeping. You understand what I'm saying? TV is not sinful, but if you're watching so-and-so on TV and that's sinful, then it's sinful. So when he puts his hand upon something in your life, we need to yield it over to the Lord. A lot of times we dedicate to actually pleasing and comforting and pampering that old man. There's nothing in the Bible that admonishes us to do that. Quite the opposite. Amen? We want to pamper that old man. We want to comfort that old man. We want to keep that reputation. You know that reputation you had among your friends and peers and co-workers when you got saved and you don't want to lose face with them because they all think you're pretty cool and now you're saved and you don't want to lose face with that, you know, you need to give it over to God. Give it over to God. He didn't call you to be cool. He called you to be Christ-like. He called you to serve Jesus Christ. We've been bought with a price. We belong to him, and he's called us. There's a call of God upon our lives. It's a struggle between the two natures of Adam, the old man, and the flesh and the carnal. I say it all the time. It doesn't mean the flesh and that old nature is demon-possessed. It means it's on its own. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. It's just man living for man, and God's not in the picture. Man living for man, and God's not the authority. But if I'm saved, Christ is the authority. And so we get distracted between the two uh, natures, and we also, it's a question of our will. Every man has a will. And again, I think this is overlooked a lot of times. We talk about choosing the Lord as Savior, but our will must wholly become Christ's will, holy in the sense of completely or fully. Your will and my will, we're only going to go as far in Jesus and grow as much in Jesus as that will is submitted to Christ. Every man is as holy as he wants to be. You can believe that. Every man or woman or believer is as holy as they want to be. 
You can be more holy and so can I as soon as that will is surrendered to the Lord. That will must be surrendered to God. It must be wholly his. Jesus says, if any man will come after me. Two important words in that. We know the scripture, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Every word's important. But I'm thinking about two for our purposes this morning. If, because everybody doesn't. If any man will, will. If and if you will, okay? Because everybody is not. But if we are, we need to go his way. If any man will, you have to decide. I can't decide it for you. I would plead with you not only to be saved if you're not, but to live for Christ fully with everything, every fiber of your being if you are not. But if any man will, he's going to have to deny himself, take up his cross, Jesus said, and follow me. Jesus says, where the servant is, where the master is, he says, there will my servant be also. It's not the, the matter of you simply saying, I want to be perfect in Christ today. We can't do that, but we can say, I can surrender my will to the Lord as quickly as he shows me some area of my will that's not submitted to him. You understand what I'm saying? I can do that. As quickly as he shows me, give up this or incorporate this into your life. Do this, don't do this. And as soon as I will do that, that that's a measure. Instantly, he can take it from there. He can't work in me if I'm just rebelling against the Lord. And he says, do this and I'll help you. It'll cause you to grow. And we say, no, I'm not going to do that. We're going to grow as quickly as that will is surrendered to the Lord. I can't, I'll tell you what every one of us in this room can do. We can surrender to the Lord. Every one of us in this room can surrender fully to the Lord. And you know what? We'll surrender fully to the Lord in a day from now, in a week from now, a month from now. God will say, that was wonderful. You surrendered all this, but there's still this area. And he'll show us something we did. The time we first surrendered, we didn't even realize that we were holding this back. That's okay. God does that. I'm talking about it every waking moment that we be submitted to Christ as we possibly can be. And as we are, we're going to grow in the Lord. That will must be fully his will. Jesus said in the garden, not as I will, but as thou, thou will, Father, right? It's possible let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will. That's a perfect example of the servant heart and the submitted heart. And because he did that, God has also highly exalted him. The work on the cross was finished. Well, we're to be the same way. George Mueller, you know, we've, we've heard about him, England, and had the orphanages, a wonderful Christian man. He said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but when you go to the Lord in prayer, when he would commence to pray daily or how, however often he prayed, he said, I would first, first of all, before any prayer request was offered up to the Lord, I would seek to come to a place where I have no will of my own. However long that took, 30 seconds or 30 minutes or an hour, he seeked to come to a place in his heart of hearts and his mind where he had no will of his own. And then God could impress upon his heart and his mind by the Holy Ghost how to pray, what to pray, and he would pray correctly. It's a wonderful way to be. That was the first step. And so our, our growth in holiness is going to depend or hinges upon our will being sanctified. We need to have a sanctified will because there's a struggle, struggle 
within the life of the believers. You know it because you're saved and you experience it yourself. I'll tell you what Paul said, and you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? There's a cry of desperation. Almost everybody, there's a little controversy, but not much. Most people, most every scholar that you will read, including I would believe this as well, believe that Paul was a saved man when he wrote this. Romans chapter 7, he's already given the gospel and, and all the things about justification by faith. And he gets to this chapter and th- said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I know I shouldn't do and don't want to do, I find myself doing. And what is that? That's the battle that we're talking about. As a Christian, as a believer, he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? There's a very real struggle, but there's also a very very real pathway to victory in this. You don't have to be so desperate that you think there's no relief. There is a relief. Amen? I thank God through my Lord Jesus Christ is what he says after that. I thank God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The victory is in Christ. And so what we, there's a, it's like a prison. I've been in it. There's times we're in it. We don't have to live in it. Talking to the Christians this morning, talking to those that are saved, you've given your life to the Lord. <clears throat> and it's almost like a prison because we live a life of struggling and failure. I'm talking about we want to do well in the Lord. That's all I'm talking about. I want Next time I'm with that group of friends, I'll, I'm going to share the gospel. The Lord's told me for years I need to, Share the gospel with my friend. And a moment comes, and we cower down again. You ever done that before? The moment comes, this is it. This is it. I swear I'm going to do it this time. And we don't. And we, we're so disgusted with ourselves, and we know what we should have done. And we, it's struggle and failure, or I'm never going to commit this sin again. Uh, I've repented. I've asked God to forgive me. And we, we sin and and. And we do it again. We come to the Lord. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb, like we sang. And guess what? He welcomes me with open arms and forgives me and cleanses me. And he said, but this is like beating your head against the wall almost. It's like beating your, flapping your wings all your life and never taking off. God wants us to come to a place of victory. Of victory. He's given us the victory and he wants us to walk in it. And the issue has, is not salvation at this point, but the issue is walking in that victory over our flesh. Walking in victory over our flesh and living a life that is truly, you know it and the Lord knows it, that is truly separated unto God. Not just on Sundays when we're all here together. That way of victory, y'all, is the way of, the, of death. It is The way of victory is the way of death. The death of the cross. It's not morbid. We're saying death to that old man that the new life of Christ may grow in us and live fully. What do, what do we have to die to if we're already saved? We have to die to our self. Self-will. Self-sufficiency. Self-dependency. Self-love. Self-everything. Esteem. We need to die to self and let Christ live in us. Amen? Die to, Christ, to ourselves and let Christ live in us. There's a provision for everything. There's a provision for everything. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? That's the question. The answer is, I thank God through Christ our Lord. Amen? And so uh, there's a deliberate choice on our part. 
that we have to make between satisfying, pleasing the old man or the new man. I have to make that choice. And I think the, the more we walk with the Lord, the more we surrender, it's almost like it becomes more natural. We're going to have to think about it every second. But there are times in our life we do have to think about it, and it's a deliberate choice. We have to choose between the two, because I said there's no making peace between the two. If you've tried, I've shared my testimony enough, to, and I'm embarrassed to, to share it much more, but I tried to make peace between my carnal life and carnal friends and carnal reputation and the activities and environment and so forth, the social life I had, try to make peace between that and a life in Christ Jesus. And I tried to make them work together. So I'd cover this up a little bit here and I'd cover that up a little bit there and tried to find this happy place and it does not work. It's not supposed to work. It's not supposed to work. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross, cross means death, and follow me. There's not an in-between. There's not a, a middle ground. We have to make a deliberate choice. Amen? A deliberate choice of which man we're going to live for. Cannot serve two masters, and I cannot live to please two different masters. One must give way to the other. Come with the flesh and the spirit to live separated unto God. One must give way to the other. One must be brought under, and one must reign supreme. Paul said that I thank God. He says, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me, and I am crucified unto the world. How did that happen? By the cross of the Lord Jesus. Amen. We reckon it by faith. You can turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Then we'll skip down to verse 11. Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, it's a matter of faith, y'all. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. It's a work of the Lord. Amen. In his cross, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. From this day forward, I shouldn't serve sin. How is that possible? By reckoning it, reckoning it so by faith that I'm dead with Christ. That's what verse 11 says. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be. He's writing to Christians here. Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus our Lord. It is a question of faith and reckoning it so. You cannot serve both masters. You can't serve to gratify and satisfy and please the flesh and that reputation and everything in that form. can old self and the new man, which is created in holiness. They cannot. We cannot do that. That's, that's where the prison comes from trying to find that happy ground. I want to give a couple examples as I as I bring this to a close, I've been studying a book, and uh, the guy uses, uh, the, the author and the minister uses a lot of uh, plant, I guess horticulture type examples. He talks about the acorn. Everybody here has seen acorns, okay? They come from an oak tree. The deer love to eat them. Uh, we have a lot down here in the south, acorns. Acorn is not just some little ball that falls off a tree. The acorn... Uh, 
in the side of that, it's in the right time, when it's covered by the dirt, it's going to spring forth. It's going to split open, and at the right time, in the right conditions, it's going to spring forth and sprout. And the sprout's going to eventually, you know, grows the way it should, become a big oak tree that bears what? Acorns. But here's the whole point of this. The acorn, I know it sounds silly, but I think it's a great analogy. The acorn must come to the point where it ceases to retain its own existence. The whole purpose of the acorn is not the acorn. The whole purpose of the acorn is the life that's going to come out of that. That acorn is going to go by the wayside. That acorn must come to a point where it ceases to try to hold on to its own existence and shape and color and form. And all the energy and all the life has to go to that sprout. And what we try to do a lot of times, we try to hang on to our acorn selves. I want to have Christ. I want to have this life of Christ. But there's so much of this old life an old man that I enjoy or whatever it may be, and I want to hold on to that too. But unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it falls to the ground, it's going to bring forth fruit. God wants your life to bring forth fruit. And it's enough. There comes the point, and the point is now, where we need to stop trying to retain our old self and that old reputation and the old things of life. We have, before we got saved, we had maybe, maybe many saved as children. But a lot of us that were saved a little later in life, we had our nature. We had our own life. We had our dreams that we were, our pursuits. And there's things that we pampered and we loved and we comforts and reputation and among men and worldly pleasures and our own will. When we come to Christ, that has to go. That acorn says, it's got to come to a place where it joyfully says, no, this is all about fruit bearing. This is all about the life that's going to come forth. And that acorn has to come to a place where it doesn't try to hold on to itself, but all the energy in life goes to that fresh little green sprout that's going to pop up, that fruit would be born. That old self must be deliberately cut off and allowed to die. Does it sound harsh or cruel? It's not. It's not. The Lord wants to do away with that self to where it's just you. It's Christ in you, and it's all this fresh new growth. It's a question of our will and our will being surrendered to God. Don't think that you, can, you have to do it all on your own. You can't do it all on your own. The Lord leads us and guides us in his word. He shows us by the Holy Ghost, and we are to to yield. There's a miraculous working. Amen? A miraculous working. All that acorn self needs to be brought to the cross and die. I say all the time, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of it needs to be surrendered to the Lord. And all my thought, energy, purpose, will needs to be surrendered to the Lord. And all that needs to be uh, given to the new life. I'm closing with this. God wants to make us a vessel of honor. He knows how to do it. Amen? He knows how to do it. His, his word tells us. We're, looked at, we're looking at a lot of the scriptures this morning. But he wants to make us a vessel of honor. In a house, there are many vessels. In a large house. Some to honor, some to dishonor. 
a dishonor. I can't really use this. It's in my house, but I can't really use this man or woman or young person to glorify Christ because there's too much of themselves still there. God can do the work that needs to be done, but I can use this one over here, a vessel of honor like a Daniel, like the three Hebrew boys, right? Not perfect, but surrendered to the Lord. That's what he wants to do in our lives. I'm closing with this illustration. Another uh, horticulture. Botanists say that in autumn, all these trees, you know, you, you go up different parts of the country, you might travel in the fall to see the leaves change, and it is beautiful. But all of that is really representing, as beautiful as it is, there's gold and orange and different colors, and, and I love to see that as well. We get a little bit down here, not as much as other places. But the whole thought is that of dying. Those things, those leaves are really changing color from bright green in the spring all through the summer to a place of dying. And the botanists say in autumn, there's a layer in the leaf of thin-walled cells that forms across the stalk. So if this is where the stalk comes into the tree and here's the leaf, right here at the base of that leaf, on every single leaf, there's a layer of thin-walled cells that begins to develop. Guess what they're called? Those th that layer of cells at that time of year only, they begin to develop and they, make a, they, they form a wall. And it is called the wall, the layer of separation. It's a layer of separation. That's what the botanists term it. And these cells will actually tear and press uh, uh, against the older cells until without any effort at all, the leaf falls off. It's not yanking. We can go yank a leaf off, leaf off a tree, but in the fall, they fall off the tree. They fall off because this wall of layers, layers, thin layered cells called a layer of separation, God has put it there then all it would take is the slightest little breath of God on the wind, and down comes this beautiful leaf that falls off. And the, the separation is so sharp, they said it's like a, it's like a scalpel or a knife made it. Because those cells were right there all along, and it was no yanking and tearing. Without any effort, it fell off. And without any effort of its own. And I wanted to liken that into to our lives as I close, just... God, by his word and by his will and by his spirit, can make us more like Jesus. Everything is not this sheer horror, okay? If we'll yield to the Lord, he'll strengthen us. There are things that he shows us to give up. We need to give up. How do I give it up? I love it too much. God will help you to give it up. God will take your love for it. There's things I used to love as a sinner that not only do I not do them anymore, I don't, I hate them. I won't. They bring me no pleasure anymore. And I used to think I, could, I couldn't live without it. But I've been saved, and then since salvation, God worked, and I got a long way to go, believe me. But it's not just uh, ripping roots out all the time. It's allowing the Lord to work in us to, to bring that separation that would be separated unto God. We need to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God by the cross. Amen. It's a continual thing. It's not a one. We're saved one time, but all that I'm talking about today and growing and being sanctified, it's a continual, continual taking up our cross daily, Jesus said, denying ourselves daily, following the Lord as we daily in every moment of every day. As I said, it will come to a point as we grow and walk in the Lord that that becomes more natural 
and the old man is more foreign. That's where God wants to bring us. I'm going to close with this scripture. In the old, all through the Bible, the, the word of God talks about holiness and separation. One of the definitions of holiness is sanctified, which means separated unto the Lord. And I was reading this verse in Numbers 8.14. The Lord's talking about the Levites. The Levites were that to be that priestly tribe. They were ordained to be that, okay? Priestly tribe. Of all the people and all of Israel, and here's the tabernacle, and here's the brazen altar, and here's everything, the courtyard, and the golden uh, lampstand, and the mercy seat, and all that representing the Lord. Those Levites were to be the ones that ministered to the Lord. They were the go-betweens, and they were the ones that would go that God had called to be separate. And he says this, Thou shalt separate the Levites from among the children of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. The Bible tells us that you're a, holy, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are as believers. We are as believers. And guess what? The Levites shall be mine. The Lord said, they belong to me. You gave your life to Christ. You belong to Jesus. I'm glad I belong to Jesus. Amen. They were separated unto the Lord. Thou shalt separate the Levites from among the children of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. Y'all stand with me. Altars are open. It's a call for holiness, y'all. It's a call for separation from wherever you are, however holy you are, to go on with the Lord more that that will be surrendered and submitted to Christ. I pray that the altars would be filled with people crying out to the Lord in desperation for a genuine work of sanctification in our lives to be separated unto God. And even if you say, well, I, I don't even know if I can do that, God will help you to do that. I pray you come to these altars. I pray, God, that you would call out to the Lord. Father, we come.